When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and last week Tesla Motors announced the Powerwall, which is a, essentially a Model S battery that you can use in your home uh, to store up energy you're generating from solar panels. This is certainly not going to be for everybody just yet, but there are uh, some interesting concepts behind it. Uh, they're going to be offering two versions of this. One is like a backup battery for uh, your home, so you could use it if you ever lose power for a short period of time uh, to kind of give you a backup, almost like a generator. Uh, or you can get one that's designed to uh, be discharged and recharge more frequently. So for example, you could charge up uh, this battery during the day with your solar panel and then plug your car into it at night so you're never using grid power uh, to power your commute. And you're going to need to do some research before you buy this to kind of figure out exactly what your energy needs are, but you can stack them together. So if you wanted to uh, add a little bit more juice than what one pack can provide, you can buy a bunch of them and kind of uh, lump them all together. And earlier today, I talked to Jim Chen, who's the VP of Regulatory Affairs for Tesla Motors, and we're going to find out more about the vision of the product and uh, some of the commercial applications they might have for this as well. So let's get to that interview. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman and we are here with a great guest this morning. His name is Jim Chen and he is from Tesla Motors and uh, that is one of my favorite automobiles and I'm sure many of you uh, look, love that car too. And uh, Jim is the VP of uh, Regulatory Affairs for Tesla and he's here today to talk to us about uh, their new product, which is not a car, Jim, right? This is something that you plug into your home or perhaps a business or even a power plant. So tell us more about uh, this new battery product that's coming out and why it's so important to the company. Sure. Good morning, Lon. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, the new Powerwall is, is an important uh, new product that uh, Tesla Motors is putting out. And the natural question has come up, well, Tesla Motors, don't you guys make cars? What is this new product? And I think it goes back to uh, a little bit about understanding what Tesla was about. You know, Tesla, when it first came out, Tesla was of the view, the founders were of the view that the world didn't need another automobile company in the traditional sense. What they needed, what the world needed really was a, an exciting new way to look at automobiles entirely. Uh, and so that's how we came out with Tesla and a core part of that technology um, two core pieces of the technology for the vehicle are the battery systems and the software. Uh, and naturally, uh, you know, that type of system does not have to be limited just to the automobile. In fact, if you think about it, the automobile is the ideal testing ground for a robust, stable, sustainable source of energy storage, i.e. the batteries. Because if you think about it, cars are, you know, beset by constant vibration. They're moving in all sorts of weather. Uh, there are all sorts of conditions, you know, dry, wet, hot, cold, snow, rain, you name it. Uh, and if you can make, improve a battery technology that is not only durable enough for a vehicle, but robust to have a vehicle that offers a, a, a 10 year, excuse me, an eight year unlimited uh, powertrain warranty, then why not look at other applications? So that's where we came out with the Powerwall. Again, going back to Tesla as a technology company, not just an automobile company. 
And what's been interesting about it to me is that, you know, this is, you know, we, we hear a lot about global warming and, you know, of course, there's a big political debate over how do we deal with that, whether through regulatory means or, or perhaps technological means. And there hasn't been a lot of, of, of action really by, on the parts of those uh, creating all of this carbon, uh, whether people think it's a problem or not. Uh, to try to solve that problem. And it looks like Tesla is really the only one out there doing this kind of thing. I mean, people could hook up batteries to their solar panels before, but these, it, it, it wasn't a, it's not a very smooth process. You got lead acid batteries, you got to buy all this extra equipment. Uh, so this is a very different solution. Can, can you talk about this a little bit? Because you know, you're in the regulatory world here with this. You know, Tesla is having an uphill battle trying to disrupt some very, uh, very uh, long standing uh, industries here. And I'm sure uh, there might be some regulatory issues on the power side. but. Uh, you know, is it challenging trying to solve these problems? Because it seems like every time, you know, whether it's the SpaceX side of the business that, uh, that your CEO Elon Musk is involved with or, or the automobile side, there's always barriers that get put up that kind of stifle this innovation. So how has that process been going and, and how does this product uh, uh, relate to that as well? Well, introducing a new technology, a new approach, a new paradigm, so to speak, is always going to be difficult. People are naturally resistant to change, but people are also bright, smart, and when, you know, a new technology comes along that proves to be better than the incumbent technology, uh, you will have folks who will embrace that technology, the early adopters. Uh, and the early adopters show that, you know, a technology is viable, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, useful, it's durable, it's all the things that make our lives a little bit better. I mean, you don't have to go too far back in time to see the sudden acceleration of this, but I mean, this is throughout the course of human history. I mean, this is how we move from living in caves to, you know, the modern technology we have of the day. The, the analogy that we like to show at Tesla is, is think about the cell phone from the 1980s. You know, that $5,000 brick, uh, what I call the Gordon Gecko phone that only the high net worth individuals uh, could afford. But approve the viability of the cellular network, i.e. that you can make a phone call from anywhere. You know, take that to Tesla and what we're doing in terms of, you know, personal transport, sustainable energy, mobile, uh, or excuse me, battery applications at home. And this, this is the logical next step. And think about it. You mentioned Lon, lead acid batteries as a backup. You're right, lead acid batteries, but lead acid batteries are messy. They're, uh, they have a short lifespan. They require an incredible amount of maintenance. You know, they're just not that durable. You always have to worry about electric light level. And electrolyte, by the way, which is characterized as an extremely hazardous substance by the EPA. Yeah, it's sulfuric acid. acid. <laughs> it's acid. And so you have a bank of batteries in your home that contain all this acid. Well, the beauty of the Powerwall by Tesla is that this is lithium-ion technology. There is no electrolyte, uh, liquid electrolyte to worry about. Uh, the the Powerwall is warrantied for 10 years. Uh, and and that's the warranty, not the expected useful life. The expected useful life is obviously a lot longer than that. It's liquid cooled and, and maintained, and that liquid, by the way, is uh, a glycol-based antifreeze, so well known uh, and and not not harmful, uh, not hazardous, and uh, a system that is again requires no maintenance. So it's a seamless integration into the home for either backup battery power or to shift folks who have solar panels into a more efficient use of those solar panels. Right, so describe that process to me. So if I have, so for example, at my, at my business uh, where I work during the day, we have a 250 KW system up there. It powers, when the sun's up, especially this time of year, we're doing this uh, in May, we got peak solar right now here in Connecticut. It's generating you know, right now about 230 kilowatts and it'll definitely be hitting 250 by the middle of the afternoon. Uh, we're using only like 90, so we're pushing back out a lot of 
power back to the grid essentially and not getting much for that. How does the battery come into play here? If I had a system at my house that was running during the day uh, and I was charging up those batteries, what could I do with that power that's stored? Well, see, here's the, here's the, you've outlined basically the inherent disadvantage of solar. What happens if the sun's not shining? Um, or in your case, when the sun is shining, you know, you're, you're generating all this power. You, you're producing essentially peak power, power that you can't use all at once. So what do you do with that excess power? You right now, you shunt it into the grid. So the uh, system that we've devised, both a residential and a commercial version, by the way, the residential is in increments of seven kilowatts, and that's scalable all the way up. Um, or a commercial unit, which is much larger, obviously. Uh, for the example you talked about, about your station, you're probably looking at some type of commercial system where when the sun is shining and you're producing all that excess power, instead of shunting it into the grid, you can store it into this battery storage unit and therefore on cloudy days or at night, uh, when the sun isn't shining, you're not actively producing power, you can pull off of that battery uh, and therefore be less grid dependent. Uh, Obviously, the question may come up, well, isn't this a threat to the power companies, to the utilities? Actually, again, we have a residential unit and a commercial unit. We have utilities very interested in the commercial unit. And why? Because it absolutely makes sense. Let's a macro version of the solar systems and you look at the, um, the solar systems that are producing all this power when the sun shines. If you look at a power plant, a power plant must have capacity to produce power at peak demand. So in Connecticut, when it's the heat of summer and all the commercial buildings and all the residences want all that air conditioning, high load, you know, the power company's got to meet that. So the capacity for production has to be a peak load. Well, guess what? They don't always use peak load at night when, when things are cooler. During the winter, when there is less demand for this air conditioning and, and folks are switched to oil or gas heating where they don't need this electricity generation. What do the power companies do? Well, they simply can't shut down, okay? Uh, it's just too expensive for these gas fire, natural gas fire power plants. They have to, you know, flare off. They sell power super cheap at night. They try to find ways to, to absorb that excess capacity. And in some well, ways, now, though, the power is getting generated and just going nowhere, right? Because it can't, there's no storage mechanism that a lot of these, these power companies are using right now. Is that, is that an accurate that's statement? That's exactly right. And a lot of it can get wasted. Now imagine we take all that wasted energy, put it into a storage unit, a commercial Tesla power wall, and be able to use that. Well, all of a sudden you can imagine scenarios where perhaps that facility doesn't have to produce uh, peak power. Perhaps it never needs to reach a peak power point, but instead can store excess power. So when the peak demand comes, they pull off a combination of their generation and the power they've already stored during the low peak times. So now you've got a, a, a power plant that can run more efficiently, uh, less expensively, and with less capacity, yet still meet demand. In fact, maybe meet demand uh, a lot more efficiently and a lot more cost-effectively. So then I, I would assume that you're not anticipating some regulatory uh, barriers here when, when this technology starts rolling out, because it seems like the power companies might actually benefit from being a customer of this, of this technology. Yeah, and, and unlike uh, automobile, well, let me back up. You, you know, the utilities, power structures, they all have their own set of unique regulations on how systems work. Obviously, you know, like most regulation, the uh, requirements are designed to ensure that what you're producing, what you're putting out there is safe, effective, uh, efficient. And, and, you know, obviously we have looked into the regulations that uh, impact the power wall. Uh, not just for the United States, but worldwide, and we've ensured that we're meeting those requirements. 
And I think too that there's there's we talk about worldwide. I mean, there's places where you know, for example, they never hooked up uh, wired phones. Everyone's on wireless phones just because the infrastructure technology at the time didn't make sense to run wires to things. And uh, you know, we're seeing a, a lot, you know, especially in the, in the developing world where uh, there's a lot of technology at play. They're storing uh, most of their energy in their phones, I guess, during the day because there are solar uh, installations in some of these uh, communities, but they don't have a storage mechanism. Do you see this being something that uh, could help some, some of these developing areas have uh, the ability to very quickly bring electricity to areas that never had it before, especially at night? Oh, a absolutely. I mean, the potential for this is huge. Remember back at the turn of the century, you know, we had something called the Rural Electrification Act. It was basically an act of Congress uh, and something that the president put in where we pumped in, you know, millions of dollars in federal taxpayer monies to be able to run electrical wires out to every remote corner of the United States to ensure that even the rural communities had electricity, which was appropriate and was the right thing to do, but incredibly expensive, uh, incredibly resource intense as well. Now imagine in, you know, certain third world countries where electricity is not prolific, all of a sudden, you know, having the ability to generate power through solar arrays, storing it in batteries, and you don't have to worry about setting up this entire countrywide network grid of power lines. You can do these microgrids in, in these communities. I mean, this could not only be, you know, changing, you know, uh, the, the landscape of electric, electrical storage and distribution in the United States. This could have implications worldwide. In fact, Elon Musk had said recently, you know, that he, he's called our Gigafactory going up in Nevada, Gigafactory 1. I mean, he envisions hundreds of gigafactories, not just tens of gigafactories, hundreds of gigafactories producing these sustainable batteries that can help change the face of the world. Now let's talk about that production because I, I would imagine a power grid level uh, storage device is going to take a lot of cells here to uh, to do this. So is you know the the, the power uh, the power wall is coming out very shortly. I would imagine that the ability to produce enough of these to do the sorts of things that you're talking about will require that. Uh, factory being online. Are there any supply issues with some of the raw materials you need for these lithium-ion batteries, or is it just a matter of getting uh, the, the production of the battery itself up to the speed that you need to kind of meet this demand? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, we do have to worry about supply to make sure there's an adequate supply. Fortunately, we're not talking about uh, materials that are, you know, super rare or, or hard to come by. Obviously, we'll want to get that uh, supply going. Uh, but a lot of this is, you know, putting up that factory. And I don't know, I've seen on the internet some pictures of the facility under construction. I was there myself a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, the, the walls are up, the roof is uh, about completed, and the build-out is continuing. And when you look at, this is what's amazing about the Gigafactory, the scale is enormous. I mean, by the time this is done, we are talking about 10 million square feet of covered manufacturing space. I think there's only two other facilities even larger than this in the world, the, the Dutch indoor flower market and I think one of Boeing's production facilities. Right, I think Boeing has got the biggest one in the U.S., right, right now at yeah. least. Yeah, exactly. And this will be absolutely huge. The scale will be incredibly massive, um, 10 million square feet. That's double, by the way, double the size, almost double the size of our current Fremont facility. Um, a fifth of that, phase one, is going up right now, and that's what folks are seeing on the Internet. Uh, and that will be operational by spring. Oh, really? Okay, ne next yeah. spring. Next spring. Next spring. So a year from a year, now. About a year from now. About a year from now. Right. And then uh, the facility itself is uh, on track to be fully built out and functioning by 2020. 
And, you know, this is a story that we're not hearing a lot in the United States lately, especially new manufacturing at this scale. Uh, what are some of the reasons why uh, the company chose to do it in the United States? I mean, obviously, they're making the cars in, in Fremont right next to uh, the SpaceX facility, which is also a, a pretty interesting thing. What, what about uh, U.S. labor and, and you, you know, keeping all this stuff on shore was an advantage to this project, given that you might be exporting a lot of this? Sure. Well, first, you know, the market here is, uh, the biggest market right now is in the United States, and it makes sense to have it here. When we put the Gigafactory here, just by uh, economies of scale and logistics, not having to ship cells from overseas, you know, Elon's already stated that we are going to easily see savings of a third in our cost. And what is going to bring electric vehicles to the mainstream? What is going to bring these power walls to the mainstream? It's reducing the cost of the stored power. Uh, I saw publicly stated uh, points that were about $300 per kilowatt or less. To put this in perspective, the uh, Energy Information Agency in the United States figured that, you know, electric vehicles would be compelling when uh, prices per kilowatt for battery stored power drop below 300 kilowatts per hour. And by the way, that's not going to be until 2020. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, here at Tesla, we're doing that right now. So, uh, you know, we're certainly leaps and bounds ahead. And so having that onshored absolutely makes sense for economies of scale, for efficiency of manufacturing, and for logistics. There's also a commitment by Elon and the executive team to do this in the United States. And, and you know, Elon's this visionary, and he wanted this to be produced in the United States. This technology was invented in the United States. It was developed and iterated here, and it should be built here. Just to give you an example, back in 2008 or nine. We used to build our motor units and our power electronics in Taiwan and Thailand. As a commitment to the United States, as well as for efficiency of manufacture, we ship those back into the United States. It only makes sense that we're doing the same for the cells. And one of the interesting things I've seen, because I've, I've toured a lot of the SpaceX facilities through some of the space coverage I've done, and, and it seems like there's a similar philosophy between the two companies, which is uh, raw materials go in and finished product goes out. There's not a lot of, uh, like you're saying, you're, you're bringing a lot of these things back home and trying to produce as much as possible within the company. It's a different, a different kind of way of, of, of approaching manufacturing, given if you look at the other parts of the auto industry, so many cars, even if they're different brands, share uh, some of the same components. What, what, what's been the advantage of that approach? I mean, obviously, the battery factory is a great example. Is there uh, better cost savings? Is it giving you more control? It's, it's both, actually. It's, it's cost savings, it's control, and it's quality. Uh, you're right. We're very different as a car company from a technology slash car company from all the other manufacturers. So I think at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the traditional OEMs, uh, Fords, GMs, Chryslers, Volkswagens, Hyundais, Hondas, Toyotas, I mean, they, they farm out huge swaths of the car to be built by first tier suppliers and then bring them together in a final facility. And I think in many cases, the OEMs actually build pretty much only the, the engines themselves. Tesla is taking the opposite view. We're very vertically integrated. In the early days, by the way, this was born of necessity. Remember the Roadster days when we built that car from 2008 to 2011. Literally every single bolt and nut on that car, even if it was the exact same that was used in some other automotive spec, cost us 10 times what it cost those other OEMs. Wow. Economies of scale. Right. Uh, we also ran into a few situations where suppliers were like, well, you know, you're just not big enough and we're not going to give you competitive pricing. Or 
we would uh, agree to a price, and they say just before production, well, you know what, it costs us a little bit more. We're going to charge you a little bit more. Okay, right, right. <laughs> we were kind of held hostage to that. Right. You know, we wanted to be able to have be, be the uh, controllers of our own destiny. That said, we obviously still use a number of suppliers, and uh, we've entered into very good relationships with them. And uh, so, I mean, that's really the bottom line. It was um, matters of efficiency, quality, control, and uh, and cost savings. And last question for you, because uh, this is something I'm getting a lot of anecdotal evidence. There's quite a bit of demand for that, uh, the, the Model X, which is the, or the what's, is that the, the new low-cost car? Is that the Model X? Is that what they're, they're calling it? No, actually, the Model X is our SUV. Oh, the SUV. That, okay. So the, yeah, that's on the Model S platform. You're thinking of the Model 3. Model 3, exactly. So right. I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of, uh, of anecdotal evidence that there's going to be some demand for this car. A lot of people are chomping at the bit to get into one. I would imagine the Gigafactory is a big part of making all of this work. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. The Gigafactory is designed to produce the cells, the modules, and the packs that will go into the Model 3. And again, we see easily at least a third of the cost, current cost, of battery technology coming out of this, enabling the Model 3 starting somewhere in the mid-30s as a price point with at least 200 miles of range. Your, your readers aren't the only one. I myself am actually excited about putting my name on the list for a Model 3. People have asked me, you know, uh, what about driving a Model S? For me, you know, wife, son, uh, a, a Model S is a little too big for us, but a Model 3 would be the perfect size and at the right point, price point. So like a lot of your viewers, I'm excited myself about that coming out. So you'll probably get on the list as soon as you can with that one. So it's a... you, you bet. You bet. <laughs> Be one of the first to sign up. Excellent. Well, Jim, thanks a lot for spending some time with us this morning because I know a lot of uh, a lot of my viewers and readers are really a lot of people are really intrigued with Tesla just because I, I don't think we've seen an auto company um, first of all an auto company actually make the fuel for their cars uh, the way that uh, Tesla is doing it, but also the fact that uh, this is really the first time I think in generations that an auto company has really been able to start and actually uh, succeed in producing cars that people want to buy that have the quality that. Uh, the Tesla Model S has certainly been able to uh, bring to market and be financially successful, and, and the stock price is certainly reflecting that. So uh, we're looking forward to chatting again in the future as uh, more things come about. Well, where can people find more information about uh, Tesla and the, the new battery packs? Well, people can find more. Oh, before I get into that, mm -hmm. there certainly is more information online. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's the first time an automobile uh, company has been as successful as we have frankly, since I think since the Chrysler Brothers, which was over 90 years ago. Now if we can only get over that little dealer issue right. that's going on. <laughs> right. so you, you can't buy the car in many, well, I guess you can buy the car, but you have to kind of do it over the phone or something, right? Is that, is that kind well, of? Well, fortunately, fortunately, in the majority of states, you can go into one of our Tesla stores. The, the number of states that have uh, had dealer laws and dealer organizations lobbying against Tesla is a, a small but uh, uh, small handful, and Connecticut, unfortunately, being one of them. I think we've got a path to a resolution in Connecticut. Uh, hopefully, we'll be there soon. It's certainly something we're striving. My, my team and I are striving for. Uh, but actually, for for your viewers who are looking for more information on the cars generally, they can go to www.teslamotors.com. And for the Powerwall, they can go to www.teslamotors.com/powerwall. And there's more information there. So in Connecticut now, you can buy the Powerwall in state, but you can't buy the car. Is that right? 
That that would be the case, yes. Okay. So you can power your house, not your car, just the effort. You can buy the car if you make the phone call and uh, go through some of that process, but hopefully that will get uh, worked out pretty soon. And it's, uh, it's an intriguing, you know, the, the whole business model, everything about what you're doing is different. And I think that's been uh, what's been so fascinating to people moving forward. And we'll definitely be uh, keeping an eye on all of that moving forward. So Jim, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. It was a great discussion. We're looking forward to, I'm sure the next time you guys have something out, we'll, we'll get you back on. You bet. Thanks Excellent. a lot, Lon. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. And this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching.